1: of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You are about to hear one of the best and most important conversations I've ever had on this show. I hope that this one speaks to you as much as it did to me. I found Dr. Becky on Instagram when someone shared one of her posts about the tone in our homes during coronavirus self-isolations and how we can use this time to teach our children about resilience and not panic. So I clicked through to her profile At Dr. Becky at home, and saw immediately that a lot of what she was sharing there about anxiety and our relationship to it, I just felt so understood and empowered by what she was saying. I watched her Instagram videos and I was just blown away by the way that she was speaking about anxiety. Some of these things I've cobbled together myself, some I've learned in therapy, some of it was totally fresh, and all of it. The way that Dr. Becky was articulating it just spoke right into the heart of the anxiety struggle. So I feel so honored that Dr. Becky was willing to jump on and record with me so quickly. Our conversation here is broken into two parts. First, we talk about generally improving our relationship with our anxiety. In fact, naming it as a relationship in the first place. Dr. Becky gives numerous coping skills, both tangible and emotional. In the second part, we talk a little more about the parenting piece, both as an adult with anxiety who still has to parent every day, and then also how to relate to your children if they're anxious. If you are not a parent, do not dismiss that part of the conversation, What Dr. Becky is sharing here is really for anyone who deals with anxiety or who has a loved one at any age who has anxiety. So to follow Dr. Becky, and you are going to want to follow her after you listen to this, she's on Instagram at DrBeckyAtHome. Becky is spelled B-E-C-K-Y. I'll also link to all of this in the show notes. And she's also at DrBeckyAtHome.com. That's her website. Two quick things to mention. I share a lot more about my own personal lifetime of mental health way back in episode 18, 10 Thoughts on Anxiety. If you're looking for more of my story, that's where you can find it. I also feel like I need to mention that we recorded this episode over Skype on a very rainy day in Los Angeles. So there's a few times where the audio gets a tad wonky when the connection wobbled This is a hazard of recording through the internet, but you do not miss any of her great points, I promise. This conversation with Dr. Becky is so meaningful to me. I felt seen and understood, and I walked away with actual tools and philosophies around anxiety that I did not have before, after a lifetime of dealing with this and talking about it. So I hope that it is just as powerful for you. Here's my conversation with Dr. Becky of Dr. Becky at Home. Dr. Becky, thank you so much for being here, for being willing to jump on this interview with me so last minute. I came across your stuff online and I was immediately touched by everything that you were saying about anxiety, about setting the tone with our kids during this super weird time that we're in. And I just really wanted to talk to you and also get this message out to so many people who are, you know, struggling with this really weird moment in time, but also because anxiety is a thing that I talk about on my show and on my blog for years and years now. So even when we are not in coronavirus land, it is still such useful information that you're putting out there. So thank you, thank you for agreeing to hop on with me last minute. Thank you so much for having
0: me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Okay, so for our listeners, if you could just give a brief introduction to sort of who you are, you know, what you do in the world, like, I'd love to hear that from you.
0: Great. So, yeah, my name is Dr. Becky Kennedy. I am a New York City-based clinical psychologist and parenting guidance provider. For a long time, way before coronavirus uh, kind of hit our radar, I have been focusing in my practice and at workshops and in parenting groups on recognizing, managing, relating to our anxiety as a way to help us create different patterns in our children. So I think a lot about the word resilience. I think a lot about how the exact moments we have anxiety are actually the precise moments, we could wire our bodies and definitely our children for some real grit and strength. And this is a moment clearly in the world where those skills seem uh, especially important. Okay, so
1: you don't have to convince me because I've watched all your IG videos. But just for the listeners sake, you have like, multiple amazing degrees in this,
0: right? You're not just spouting off like I do. (laughs) I do. I have a couple degrees. I have a BA in psychology and human development from Duke University. I have a PhD in clinical psychology from Columbia University. And I think very importantly, I have kind of a third degree, which is I live in a home with three young children and very much understand that the things I learned in school or the things I thought even before I have kids just look very differently when they're played out in your home. And to me, they look differently when I play out them out with three of my very, very different children. So I guess I have kind of three degrees in that way.
1: Okay, so everyone, if you're not like picking up the theme here, it is that I just talk randomly about anxiety and parenting. And Dr. Becky actually knows what she's talking about. So everyone, (laughs) we will listen to Dr. Becky. Okay, I want to start with just general anxiety. Because A lot of people in the audience, you know, we have sort of a wide variety of the types of people who might be listening to this because anxiety is something that I've talked about, especially my childhood anxiety and then how I cope with it as an adult. There's a lot of people who relate to that journey. Um, I have a lot of women who listen to this show who maybe didn't experience real anxiety until they were adults. Maybe postpartum is very common when their children are young hormones, that type of thing. And then now, of course, because we are in coronavirus world and a lot of people are on lockdown, we're self-isolating, we're self-distancing. And so anxiety has ramped up, even in people who don't experience it just on a normal day, but because the news is scary and this is a weird time and nobody really knows exactly how to deal with it. So I know anxiety is a huge topic and I just gave three ways that a person could be feeling it. But just in general, I like what you're saying online about sort of recognizing it and coping with it with yourself. And so I was wondering if you could say more about that to all the general anxiety of just like baseline sort of where to start.
0: So, you know, like any other thing in my life, uh, when I'm trying to solve a problem, the first thing I think is I have to define the problem correctly. And I think it's really important to think about anxiety or rethink it, because I think a lot of us often try to cope with it before we try to really understand what it is. So at baseline, I guess I think about anxiety in multiple ways. I'm always trying to think about things in more ways rather than fewer ways, because then it gives me more avenues to kind of figure out strategies. So one of the ways I think about anxiety is very simple. It is discomfort in our body. It is extreme discomfort. I don't say that to minimize it. Discomfort is very, very real. And it's our body's way of telling us, please pay attention to me. Discomfort is our body's way of asking for attention. And if I wanted to get really deep about it, I would say, and I'll say a little bit of it now because I can't help myself, that usually when we feel that type of discomfort, our body's Saying, please pay attention to me. The important people in my life early on did not pay attention to me when I felt these types of things. And I am still so desperate for that recognition and connection. And so often we actually do to our anxiety the precise things that people, even though to the you know, they were trying their hardest, but people did to us. We ignore it, we want to explain it away. We want to wish it away. We kind of greet it with a, oh, you again, you're ruining my vibe right now. So that's one way I think about anxiety. Another way I think about anxiety, which to me is a really, really concrete way to think about it that's super helpful, is it usually occurs when we have two conditions, uncertainty and an underestimation of our coping ability. Right now is a time and other times too, but really right now, we cannot get rid of the uncertainty. There's so much uncertainty. How long are my kids off school? How long am I gonna be out of work? How long am I gonna have a job and have to work from home? When will the kind of real outburst happen? There's so many things, we can't get rid of it. What we can do, and I'm all about finding agency in a situation, is think about our coping skills and think about how we talk to ourselves about our coping skills. Interestingly enough, if you don't even build any new coping skills, but you just start telling yourself things like, I can cope with this. I am more capable than I often remember. Your anxiety takes a temporary pause because you're taking care of that part of the anxiety spiral. Oh my gosh, I love that you just said that. One of your quotes that I
1: wrote down earlier to share with everyone is, anxiety comes from something unknown in the future coupled with our underestimation of our ability to cope with that unknown. And yeah. In all of my years of talking and reading about anxiety, I have not seen it put like that. Mm. And I really love that because there is a real part of anxiety that is not trusting of ourselves. Like we are not only fearful of whatever we're legitimately or not actually scared of, but we're actually not trusting of our own self and That's almost scarier than whatever it is that we're fearing. And honestly, Dr. Becky, I've never had anybody say it like that.
0: Well, you know, honestly, the way you just reframed it in your own words gave me the chills. I've never had anyone say it or reframe it like that. That feels so powerful. And I actually think for a moment, I'm going to use my brain hard hard right now. I think we can link those two ideas around anxiety. The reason we underestimate our coping abilities is because we're experiencing a feeling that our body experienced when we were younger that we were alone with, right? We were alone with something and our body's feeling that again. And one of the most powerful things that is different about adulthood than childhood is we can remind ourselves as adults, I'm an adult. I love having people around me. I need people around me, but I am not as dependent as I was when I was eight. Or 10. I'm really not. I can do things. Let me remind myself of that. There's so much I can do because you're so right, Laura. When we feel panicked and then we double down on that panic with a message of helplessness, that's when we feel the worst.
1: So, should we self talk? Like, I, explain to me what self talk looks like for you. Like, do you actually? stop and say it to yourself maybe out loud or just have the conscious thought or do you write it down almost like as a affirmation like I don't my mind is buzzing all the time and so when people talk about self-talk I'm like but what do you mean aren't you always self-talking
0: so self-talk I think is kind of a cousin of mindfulness they really occur together and I think self-talk starts with noticing and labeling something that's happening for you. And that is, a, that is an idea that's taken right from mindfulness, right? And this is all going to really tie together these themes. Once we notice and name something that's happening inside of us, even saying, I'm feeling anxious right now, or you want to become a little more purposefully mindful in your language, I am noticing, I am feeling anxious right now. We get into a relationship with that thing instead of that thing being us. Because if I'm noticing something, if everyone listening can even visualize, if I'm noticing something, I see it, it's a little bit outside of me. So to notice something, there has to be a viewer, right, an observer, and then there has to be the thing you're observing. And you've now created a relationship, right? Everything I think about is always back to relationship and connection. So when I say to my body, oh, I'm feeling anxiety right now, I'm noticing anxiety, or Laura, to refer to what you were saying oh wait laura pause i am having a million thoughts right now there's a huge difference in our body on saying i am noticing i'm having a million thoughts then being lost in those a million thoughts hugely different one notices something gets into a relationship with it observes it and therefore temporarily pauses it keyword temporarily it's going to start again The other version, just being in those thoughts, just spirals us down and down and down. And anyone who's prone to anxiety, anyone who's listening and says, yeah, I kind of know myself, I definitely feel anxious a lot of the time. The first thing to do is say, I'm going to start noticing it more. I'm going to start noticing times I can say to myself, oh, here are those racing thoughts. Oh, there are those worries, instead of just having those consume me and take over me. That's when we become anxiety, right? So going back a little more specifically to the question, what do I do? Okay, to me, the thing that comes up most viscerally is I become anxious before I go to bed at night. Like a lot of us, it gets dark, especially right now, it feels scary. And I notice my heart racing and I do, I literally put my hand on my chest. Actually, like there's a spot in my sternum that my thumb can like kind of fit in. I'm doing it right now. And I do, I talk to myself. I first greet it. Anyone who's seen my videos knows my self-talk works in this way. I say, hi, anxiety. There you are. You've probably been there all day. I've been too busy to kind of like fully focus on you. You're screaming out to me for attention. This discomfort is saying, please attend to me. And now I will. And even if I do nothing else but slow down, kind of touch that area and name you, that's a start.
1: I think that when you're able to name it like that and make it separate, yes, then to me that brings enough of a little gap of relief mm-hmm. that the anxiety is not the deepest part of me. It is not my soul or my spirit or, you know, whatever a person wants to refer to Mm -hmm. as like their most core self, that when you can sort of say, oh, look at me, I'm having anxiety right now, (laughs) you know, that it sort of just like, it makes a little gap there of like, that's not me. These thoughts are not my truest worth, my truest self. And that gives me enough breathing room because otherwise you can feel like you're drowning in it. If you think it's you, that you are spiraling down, that you, mm-hmm. your, your chorist self is freaking out,
0: then, well, that's when I have a panic attack, frankly. Well, that's right. That's exactly right. If we are overtaken by the part of us that's anxious and now I am just anxious in a spiral, there's no part of us to help. There's no part of us to not panic. So, of course, we have a panic attack. And I I like that reframe. A lot of us say, and I'll say this about myself too, you know, oh, I'm an anxious person or I feel anxious. I love the slight language shift because it's a message to our psyches. There's a part of me that's very anxious. She just happens to be very loud. She's very loud. But it reminds herself there's other parts. There's, There's a part that's really full of coping. There's a part that's really fun loving. There's a part that can shift perspective, right? And that reframe, there's a part of me that's anxious, helps us not spiral down, like you said, and it helps us then remember that there's other things in us. And I think that language shift is something really simple people can start saying today.
1: I absolutely agree. And also in this time of coronavirus, I feel like it's worth saying that it is okay, it is so normal to be a little bit scared right now, to have anxious feelings, to feel uncertain, A huge part of when my anxiety ramps up and I can't seem to get a hold of it, when I can't wrangle it, a lot of times it is because I've tried to push it down. Like I've tried to be like, there's, this isn't a real thing. I've made this up. This is, you know, I'm being ridiculous, whatever I'm thinking. In some ways, this is a very weird silver lining that I'm describing, but in some ways now around like an actual global pandemic, (laughs) it allows me to say well this is a scary thing like I'm allowed to be scared and that takes like the power out of it a little bit right like it doesn't feel like a big scary monster that I've created or that's coming to get me instead to just be like well yes we're all a little scared right now this is weird.
0: And I think what you said that's so helpful for the time when this does eventually kind of pass or calm down is to remember that part, that I really should talk to my anxiety and discomfort with the same amount of validation in the future that I do now when I know there's a pandemic. Because you're right, that is the part that really can spiral anxiety when we add questioning, when we add ignoring, when we add you said something I hear all the time in my practice, am I crazy? Am I quote, overreacting? Which is a way of saying, do I not know what's really happening in my body? Again, this has historical roots. If you were brought up in a family that tended to say things like you're oversensitive, you overreact, you make a mountain out of a molehill, you internalize the message that other people have a better sense of reality in your body than you do. Nope, they must be right. My mom's saying it's not a big deal to not be able to have a cookie. And so I guess my feelings that say it's a big deal are totally wrong. Mm. So We need to, or not we need to, but we can do better to ourselves. We need to tell our bodies and our anxiety, especially now because we have also right all this proof, but always this is real. This is a real feeling and I'm going to give it that type of respect. In fact, it is coming up for me because it's trying, the purpose of it is try to tell my body, get prepared. It's a scary time. Now, what is it like in our body to chronically feel like that day after day? Really hard. And how much preparedness can any of us continue to do at this point? My guess is not much. So this is where now just the psychology of managing anxiety comes in. We can't get any more certainty. We probably can't get that much more prepared. I think a lot of us are, we're washing our hands. We're doing social distancing. We're doing what we could do. Now, it's really all about using this moment to say, I am going to use this moment to improve my relationship with anxiety from this moment on in my life. I'm going to look back a couple years from now and say that coronavirus period was so scary and so difficult, but oh my God, did it give me an opportunity to relate to my anxiety in such a different way. And here I am two, five, 20 years later, so much more able to cope with the things that came my way because of all the practice I had done.
1: I am sure that you can agree that literally no one wants to smell bad, but sometimes regular underarm deodorant just isn't cutting it, or maybe it's not your underarms that need help. With Lumi, you don't have to worry. Lumi is the first of its kind in total body deodorant and is fully safe to use anywhere on your body. It is clinically proven to block odor all day and control it for up to 72 hours. The secret is mandelic acid, where instead of masking odor with a fragrance, it stops the odor before it even starts. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free, as well as pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of bright scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or a deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. Use code U for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code U, Y-O-U, at Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. So after we acknowledge it, you know, we name it, maybe we self-talk around it or even self-journal, whatever. Okay. Well, then then what? What's the managing point? Is there a managing point after that?
0: I love the, the duality of that question. What do we do next? Or is there, you know, something we do next? So uh, here's, here's really what I think. There's nothing more powerful you can do. There's not one concrete step you can do that is going to have a better impact on your anxiety than getting into a better relationship with it. And for listeners who say, yeah, yeah, you've said that, but I still don't really know what to do. Let me just expound on that a little bit because I actually think there's steps. Number one is start thinking of your anxiety as a person, not because any of us, you know, necessarily have multiple personality disorder, not at all, just because it actually makes it more obvious what to do. Right. So think of your anxiety as a person who goes into a party, goes into a group of people who she's really hoping is going to care about her. And she's struggling because she's anxious. She's a mess. What would that person hope the group of people would say to her? Number one, if she's such a mess when she goes into this party, she's feeling so bad. It's really unrealistic to expect a group of people is going to say something that's just going to make her feel better. So let's just notice that and push that to the side. Right. But number one, what that person would want and what I would ask all the listeners to start doing is to greet your anxiety. Yes, with words out loud or in your head. Start saying things like, hi, anxiety. I see you. I hear you. You are real. Start with that. That is exactly what we would want to hear from someone. Second step. It's really helpful in managing our anxiety if we can get in touch with the somatic sensations that make up our anxiety in our body. It gives us a fuller appreciation of what's going on. So to start asking yourself questions, do I feel it in my chest? What's going on in my shoulders? What's going on in my heart? How's, how's my uh, heartbeat? Just to kind of really ground it, it in your body gives us, gives us a fuller appreciation. And then I would tell it its purpose, okay, which brings me to a larger point, and then I'll get into some extra concrete steps. In general, I think a lot of us have it wrong. Our anxiety doesn't have to feel better or different. It has to be understood. I'm going to say that again about anxiety, and I actually am going to change it to feelings because I think it's true of any feeling. Our feelings don't have to feel better or feel different. They have to feel understood and like they make sense Mm. this is a hundred percent true when you notice your kids feelings too they do not need to feel better about not getting the cookie they need to feel like the feeling they had is real and makes sense so i'll say it for the kids and bring it back to us their anxiety this is why it's so helpful to say wait let me see if i got this right you really wanted that cookie i said no because it's 7 a.m And that felt so, so bad. That makes sense. That phrase is key. That makes sense. You really wanted something and I'm the one getting in your way of getting it. Makes perfect sense to be feeling as upset as you are. You really know you're that upset. You really know your body and everything that's happening. Now, does that mean your kid's going to start crying? Probably not. We're not magic. But that is really building a circuit of validation and self-soothing. So let's bring that back to ourselves and our anxiety. What do we start to say? Remember that word makes sense. The more we tell ourselves a story of why a feeling in our body makes sense, it starts to cool down. That's what it look, it's looking for, understanding, not feeling better. So my story might be right now, wow, I'm basically in self-quarantine. There's scary news all around me. There's a virus. Oh, also... Almost equally as scary, maybe not quite, but almost, is my children are home with me for an unending amount of time. It makes perfect sense that my body feels uncomfortable. I remember Dr. Becky said anxiety is discomfort. Yep, that makes sense. I'm going to keep reminding you feeling. Here's where I personify the feeling to let it know I'm in a relationship with it. Relationships heal. That makes perfect sense that you'd be ringing an alarm bell so much in my body. I'm going to keep listening to you, and now, Laura, I'll kind of move to the second, more concrete thing: is we have to start scheduling worry time and not worry time. This is where I'd say to my body, "I hear you; it makes sense." I even give permission for you as a feeling to be feeling so anxious makes so much sense. But here's the thing: I have to live the rest of my life. Still, I still have to wake up every morning, at my kids home, to make coffee. I have to you know, move around. And so you really can't pervade as every aspect of my life, right? Because just like if you went to a party and you wanted your friends to listen to your anxiety, it would be okay if they put a boundary around it. If you're around the dinner table, if I was, and I was going on and on about how bad everything was in my life and how worried I am, a loving friend would say to me, Becky, look, I've, I've listened to you for, I don't know, an hour. Like, I love you and you're okay and you're allowed to feel that way and it makes sense. And we're at this dinner party and I just... I got to turn to the person on my right for a second, but I'll be back to you, okay? But right now, I'm going to turn and, you know, talk to our other friend. We need to say this to our anxiety. I recommend people find an amount of time that feels good to them. I'm going to write in my post tonight five minutes at the top of every hour, but it might not be that. For me, a period in my life, that's what it's been. I literally say at five minutes at the top of every hour, I'm giving my 100 percent full attention to all of my anxieties. I get out a journal and I write them all down. I write every worry. Now remember, our worries don't need to be solved. They need to be heard and understood. So I just write them down. And what I love during this period is if I think, oh, like, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? Or even if I have a nice thought, oh, you know, I just had a nice text from my friend. That makes me feel better. I talk to those thoughts. I say, nope, this is my worry time. This is my Full attention to my worry time. Instead of it getting half distracted attention the whole night, it's getting my full attention. Dinner thoughts, night thoughts, you'll get my attention in two more minutes. And I literally do say that and go back to my journal. Make that a practice. Schedule that in. I'm fully attending to my worry like I would if I had multiple kids to one of my kids. Kids need special one-on-one time. Your anxiety, if it's pervading every aspect of your life, is asking for actually... devoted time and start writing it down. Nothing makes anyone feel as validated as writing down their ideas. I say this to parents all the time in brainstorming with kids. Write them down. And then during the, say, 55 minutes for the rest of your hour, when you're done, those worry thoughts are gonna come back. It's not magic. But tell them gently, hey, it's you again. I get it. You have so much to say. I probably didn't you know, represent everything that you have to say in that journal. But remember, just... Let's say, hey, 52 more minutes, and I promise I'll give you my full attention. And I'd say, just like I say to my kids, because my full attention is so much better than my half-distracted, kind of listening uh, attention right now.
1: I love the idea of, like, giving yourself five minutes or whatever a person chose in their day Mm. to just let yourself feel all the bad things or all the scary things, because... I have a tendency, like I think a lot of women have a tendency, to really try and balance a thought. So if you have a scary, bad thought, then I try to think, oh, let me instead think of the things Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for, which is just like Mm -hmm. another way of stuffing down the anxious thought is to try and like keep a weird score around it. Like, oh no, I'm going to try to like have a mindful thought. I'm going to try to have a grateful thought. Whatever a person's self-talk is, that's what mine is. I'm always trying to be like yeah. balancing it. So to give mm-hmm. myself permission to not balance it, to just be like, I'm just yeah. going to feel really bad for a few minutes. I'm going to give myself yeah. full permission. That's amazing. I, I've, I don't think I've ever done that to myself. Now, I want to do a quick follow-up question that might be a rabbit trail of, of craziness, what I'm going to ask you anyway. What if your anxiety like you were talking about a few minutes ago, what if it doesn't make sense? If we're not in coronavirus Mm. time, if we're having a lot of anxiety on a beautiful Tuesday and we don't know, we truly don't know where it is. Like there is not an actual acute event that it's pointing to. Like how deep should we investigate, oh, my body or my intuition, I I tend to think intuition and anxiety, they can be conflated, but they can also be tied. Mm -hmm. Like what here is this trying to tell me, is there something that I'm not paying enough attention to? And so it's coming out as anxiety. Is there like an intuitive thing happening here? Or do you think that's not true? Like it always makes sense.
0: Love this question. I think it's so important. Our anxiety always makes sense. Always. I will defend that to my grave. And what I really mean by that is the feelings that emerge in our bodies Yes, they always make sense. Our body never lies. It is run by evolutionary mechanisms to give us information to keep us safe. And here's the thing. Our brain is often late to the game. We don't like to think that way. Humans love our brains. We love cognition. We love logic. We love language. But our body feels before our brain thinks. And so... Our body doesn't make stuff up. Now, what happens? I think that's a great example. I'm in the park. It's a beautiful day. Coronavirus has been solved in the future. There's a vaccine. No one's ever going to have it again. And in fact, all diseases have been solved in the future. We have this, you know, something happened and no more worries. And still my body starts, you know, freaking out. We don't often know. And I like the parenting parallel too often don't know why our kid came off the bus on a perfectly sunny day and just freaks out. But every good intervention comes from assuming there's something that makes sense about it. I might never know. I don't even know if I have to do any investigation. But I need to send myself or in the other situation, my kid, a message that says something like, just because my brain doesn't understand, doesn't mean that this isn't so real and so important. And I don't know if I have to ask myself a million questions in the park. What is this about? Is this some childhood trauma that I I repress? Maybe, maybe not. But my body registered something in my environment that sets off the circuit that says danger and discomfort. And I need to really honor that because that's a really protective circuit. And so I might just say, I'm really not sure why I'm feeling this way. But just because I'm not sure doesn't mean there's not good reason. There is good reason. I might figure it out, and I might not. And even if if I don't, I'm going to tell myself over and over, this feeling is real. This feeling makes sense. I just can't quite connect the dots yet. And when we start our interventions that way, what's interesting I found, pretty soon after, we often do start to connect the dots. It's that perspective that helps us understand because we assume it's real, where when we start with the assumption, I think I'm crazy for thinking this way. There is no way any human can find validation and sense making, starting with the assumption that they're not good feelers of their feelings. That's a phrase I think about about all the time. Definitely for our kids. We want to tell our kids when we're circuiting them early. You're a good feeler of your feelings. You know you're upset. In your world, that matters. You know you don't look like broccoli. I'm not going to shove it down your throat. I'm not going to send you the message that the people around you know what you're feeling in your body better than you do, because you know what? Fast forward 40 years, you're going to be someone who says, am I crazy? Am I overreacting? I don't think that was a big deal that my boss did that to me. I don't know. Is that a big deal? Should I say something? You you can't trust your feelings. Mm -hmm. And as an adult, we can still start to work on this by that assumption even if I never understand this, it does make sense. And I'm just going to kind of have to hold that somewhat of a juxtaposition.
1: I totally agree with you. And to me, that is where the intuitive piece can Mm -hmm. come in when you think, well, I don't know why I feel this way about this situation or about this person or about this day. I don't know, but I'm noticing it. And then you're right. I feel like. Pretty soon then you do know, like something, you know, that you didn't know before comes to light or you connect the dots or the dots are connected for you, but then you can honor yourself and say, okay, see, I did know that some part of me was picking that up and I'm going to like give myself an internal high five. I'm going to honor that and respect that, that I did. I know I need to listen to myself more instead of
0: dismissing myself more. And you know what I think we're both talking about, which is a key word that I don't think has been said yet since we've been talking, is the importance of curiosity, right? It, it, like, ah, uh, like I think curiosity comes to mind. I'm in a beautiful park. All diseases have been cured forever. Everything looks good around me, and my body is registering panic. That is, wow, it's so, so interesting. Huh? I'm kind of curious about what that's about. To me, curiosity is the opposite of judgment. Mm -hmm. It's not non-judgment, the opposite of judgment. It's curiosity. We want to be more curious with our kids. We want to be more curious at work. We want to be more curious about our partner's bad mood when they walk in, kind of feeling kind of angsty. And I think what the hardest thing, you know, the hardest thing for all of us is to try to be more curious with ourselves. Curious and open. Like, right, I'm curious. That's so curious that I'm feeling so anxious on a beautiful day you know, in the park.
1: Okay, let's move to the last section. All these things that we've been talking about has been with ourselves, as adults, dealing with anxiety, either long-term or acute because of the world situation. But now, because I'm a parent, you're a parent, so many listeners are parents, and so many of us are, yes, stuck at home with our children. But even if we're not, we're having to translate to Mm -hmm. our children kind of what's happening in the world and give them words and language and understanding from our point of view. So let's talk about the parenting aspect of this. Now that we've become more mindful in our own bodies, talking to our anxiety, we're noticing all the things, how do we set the right tone, set our kids up for resilience instead of anything else, basically, in this time? Like, I just, I love the stuff that you've also said about, about parenting And so I would just love for you to say more about that.
0: So, yes, right. We can't overemphasize how the way we talk to ourselves and treat ourselves is going to be the biggest thing that filters down for our kids. So absolutely kind of finish that block. But I'm going to bring it back for a second because that's so important for parents. So, you know, other things that are really important for parents, we need to talk to our kids about what's happening. Now, people who are listening might have a two-year-old, an 18-month-old, they might have an 18-year-old. Obviously, there's different ways to talk about it. But going back to that idea of validating realness of our bodily things and with kids validating for them what's real and what they notice, kids have noticed a massive change around them. Right? I think they've noticed it weeks ago, actually, but by now, they've definitely noticed. And there's so much power in just naming that. Give your kids words like, I'm guessing you've noticed and then fill in the blank. I'm guessing you've noticed mommy's working from home now. And when I have a meeting, it almost feels harder because you know I'm in the house, but I'm in our room and I can't talk to you. You've noticed that daddy and I are a little distracted on our phones or you've noticed. I'm thinking you've noticed daddy and I are like arguing a little more. We're good. Our family is safe and You've probably also noticed that this is a time of a lot of changes and changes are hard for everyone to deal with. Daddy and I keep working on how to deal with it more calmly, but you've probably noticed that and I want to make sure to talk to you about that, right? So the idea of validating our kids' perception of reality, Laura goes right back to everything we've been talking about, about adult self-talk. Let's build that early in our kids. When we tell our kids, yes, you've noticed that, yes, that's real, yes, we can talk about it, we are building a circuit that they're going to access years from now, when a feeling comes up in their body, they're going to say, yes, this is real. Yes, I can talk to people about it. Yes, I can trust this. So that would be the first thing. Roles are really important right now. Just like I was saying about that worry time and not worry time. What I think is a winning combination for everything life is love and boundaries. Love plus boundaries equals safety. Or another way of saying that maybe is validation plus boundaries equals safety. We need to Talk to our kids about what's going on, but we also need to reassert roles that worrying at this time is really the job of a parent. This is not to invalidate your kid's worry. Listen to them, of course. Ask questions. Be curious. Tell me more about that is a great phrase. Tell me more about that. Not, oh, you don't need to do this or you can do this. Just turn all those to tell me more about that. What's going to happen next, right? But also in those conversations, say things to your kids like, my job as your parent is to keep everyone safe. There is no job I take more seriously than that. For now, your jobs are to keep washing your hands, to be doing your schoolwork at home, to be playing, to find things that are silly, and to laugh. Let's both do our jobs well. That is so critical. It is not our kid's job to tell us that chickpeas are running low. (laughs) It is not our kid's job to watch the news and report. That worrying is really important for us. Those boundaries are really, really critical to establish in your home.
1: But what if you are legitimately melting down, like as an adult? What is the balance between letting your kids see that you have emotion and And not denying your own self, emotion, or whatever, the balance between that and then also, like, being a strong, unified front that makes them think we're safe and doesn't make them too fearful.
0: Like, how do you do that? So this is a really important question and a complicated one because I want to answer in a way that is honest but isn't shame-inducing. So I'd ask every listener to first just say, kind of, again, to their bodies – kind of shame part, you're probably going to say, oh, I'm going to latch on to that. I'm going to tell myself I'm not good enough. So let's kind of get ready. Nobody benefits from our dysregulated emotions. Nobody. We don't. Our partners don't. Our kids don't. So when you say melting down, having kind of a panic attack, meaning also like hysterical crying panic in the face of our kids. No, they do not benefit from that. And watch out for the shame because here's my next part. If that happens, that's okay. I really mean both things. We're human. It's, it's probably going to happen to me, right? I'm on day three with my kids, okay? Everything feels pretty okay now. I mean, we have a lot of days to go. I, I can check in with everyone in a few more days, and I'm going to say, oh, that thing I said wasn't so great. Totally happened for me. So both things are okay. If we can focus on our self-care, right, Laura, those first couple blocks that we talked about, like you said, we are going to be less likely to melt down, right? There's two things. There's self-care and then there's kind of self-comforting. Self-care is everything we do kind of to make ourselves a little less vulnerable to to everything in life. When the thing happens, now we have to comfort ourselves. They're both important, but the more self-care, we do, the less we have to respond. So when those things inevitably happen, the critical thing is the moment of repair. I always like to tell my patients and anyone I see Secure attachment, which is the type of attachment we want our kids to have, is really differentiated from other forms of attachment by moments of repair. And what I love about this idea is I always think, well, if it's differentiated because of we do more repair with secure attachment, that means I I must have made a mistake to have done the repair. So the mistake doesn't put me in, you know, a bad place as long as I do the repair. I am building a resilient trusting the world feeling good about myself circuit for my kids so you have that meltdown not right away find your kid later and going back to the idea of making things make sense make sense of that for your kid you have to tell them a story don't make it better don't say that wasn't a big deal don't defend it make it make sense this is a lot going on sweetie And you know, just like you, mommy's working on managing her big feelings. And just like you, sometimes they bubble up and just feel like too much. And they come out. And then after that, we take some deep breaths. We find the things that make us feel safe. And I just did that. I talked to your daddy. I took a bath. And then we keep going. And that's what just happened. But you probably noticed that. And you might have felt uncomfortable. And I would totally get that. Do you want to tell me more about that? Mm -hmm. That's how I would handle those moments. That's how I will hopefully handle my (laughs) moment.
1: The future moment when we all melt down coronavirus (laughs) 2020.
0: Okay. Do you have more that you want to say about the parenting? Sure. I think some other quick things in the house, right? I think that there's been a lot of things posted online about structure and schedule for your kids. And there's two things. I see people posting, oh, here's a schedule, follow the schedule. And I see something else saying, oh, don't put so much pressure on yourself. You're not a, you know, you'd never meant to homeschool your kids, right? And, and I think both things are true, kind of, right? The, the part of the structure that I think is important, and I think this is a theme that I think is critical for us at this time, too, with our anxiety, is humans like a sense of predictability and progress and agency. We really, really like those feelings. And right now, things are unpredictable uncertain and we're filled with waiting and helplessness. I think it's why we all hate traffic so much. It's just the essence of feeling stuck, right? Nothing I can do. And this is like a major, major form of world traffic. The world is stuck. And while we're in our homes, we need to create structure for our kids so they can say at the end of the day, they can go to that schedule you made and just say, yeah, I did that. And then I did that and then I did that and then I did that. Look at that. I did all of those things. That is so important and we need to do that for ourselves. Honestly, Laura, you mentioned Instagram. I realized I am so grateful to my Instagram account and my new followers because they are enabling me to put energy into feeling helpful and creating something. I think about things, I write it down, and then I put it on Instagram and then boom, it's there. I've never had such an urge to do that because I've never needed to do that in such a real way because all the other ways I used to do that have been totally taken away from me. I can't make a plan with a friend. I can't see someone. I'm even doing my, you know, my work on on Skype and on, you know, kind of on FaceTime or on Zoom, like all these different ways where I'm more distant. At the end of the day, now my house looks like a total disaster. I can't even clean it up because my kids are around all the time. We need to give our kids a sense of agency now, give them structure and give ourselves structure. I think Every adult listening to this needs to think of a personal project that gives them feelings of agency and helpfulness and progress. That doesn't have to be something huge. It could literally be making picture albums, right? Which actually in my life would be huge because I put that off forever. But order those pictures from Shutterfly or from, you know, wherever. Order a picture album and instead of kind of consuming media after media when our kids go to bed, do, you know, 20 pictures. Do something so at the end of the week you can say, I did that, and then I did that, and then I did that, and this is what I have. That is critical, I think, for kids and adults right now.
1: Yeah, assignments for me have been key. Now, I work from home anyway, and so Mm -hmm. I can still keep up with like my normal podcast things, but Mm. also on Instagram, this is another social media example, I gave my followers sort of an assignment and we're all doing it together. The assignment is let's document this time. This is absolutely historic. People are going to be studying 2020 in general, but especially coronavirus for years to come. And do not let like the history books write what it was like. You write what it was like for you. I want you to document your own history And so I've been giving people an assignment and then they're posting it. It's like a silly little thing that actually does make a mindset difference of like, okay, I'm going to take this picture. I'm going to write a caption about what it feels like in our community, in our home, in my heart right now and share it. And that's like my part of sharing history, of documenting history. And I do feel like, I mean, I know it has helped for me, but just watching people do it. I can see like, okay, this is helpful that we all have an, a little assignment like this.
0: Yeah. I think that that's an amazing idea. I think that's great. and I think you can involve your kids in that in a way too, not just by taking pictures of them, but that's a great idea. Maybe our kids can, whether they're older, they can write, write kind of a diary of some type. I love the idea, and everyone probably knows this about me just by listening, about making things concrete. It's why I make my feeling of anxiety into a person. But little kids really need to make things concrete. Really, really, really. They need to draw out their feelings they need to represent it in their body movements they need to scribble really really hardly and rip paper to show that they're angry and little kids who are especially dysregulated right now one of the things i would say to parents kind of along with documenting like you're suggesting is to maybe at some part of the day say wow, we're home. What does it look like today? What colors does this look like? And look, a lot of listeners might be like, my kid wouldn't know. They might just grab some random crayon. Again, it doesn't really matter. It's just a message of respect and the idea of let's represent on paper something that's happening. And that could be, you could even tell that we're going to bind them. We're going to look through it. Maybe who knows how long we'll eventually write a story about it. I think that's an awesome idea. Yeah. So good. I think the one thing I'll say at the end is this is a serious time, time, but one of the other things our anxiety really needs is to get back in touch with a part of us that's fun and lighthearted. So things like watching Netflix specials that are funny, things like doing silly dances with your kids are um, are really critical. They're not bonus right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, I totally co-sign that. Okay, Dr. Becky, this
1: has been... Truly an enlightening and important conversation for me. Like, I cannot wait to listen to this one over and over. I know this is going to be helpful to people. I really appreciate what you are putting into the world, how you are helping people manage this time and just their emotions in general, and that you are willing to do it publicly with me on this show. Thank you so much. Thank you.